And I'll invite us together as God's people to turn in the scripture to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians. It's found after the gospel and Acts and Romans. And if you've been with us uh, throughout this past year, we have been studying Paul's letter and we come towards the end to this 15th chapter where Paul uh, expounds on the reality and the joy and the blessings and the hope that are ours because Christ is raised from the dead. And so I invite you to follow along with me as I read from God's Word beginning in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading down through verse 34. Let's give our attention to the Word of God. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. So what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have knowledge of God, have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. 
Father, would you come now and would you speak to our hearts through your word, read and now preached. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our minds to see and to believe the truth you have for us and to gaze upon the face of Jesus Christ in the gospel that we might be transformed more and more into his likeness, even as he is now doing through his resurrection. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Two weeks ago, we were rocked with the tragic news of another senseless, terrible shooting at a school based in a church in Nashville. Three young children, three adult staff whose lives were snatched away in an instant by an evil act of murderous violence for reasons we still don't fully know and probably will never fully understand. The shocking news, the heartfelt grief and anger and pain and loss, as well as the the underlying fear that death brings are magnified in force and and they hit us like a gut punch when someone walks into a school and opens fire on little children who were just there to learn and laugh like any other day. The Bible is not overstating the truth when it personifies death as our greatest and final enemy. And it should not surprise us to know that Satan, the evil one, is described as the one having the power of death. And that apart from Christ, we are described as being in bondage to the fear of death. Death is neither natural nor peaceful, which is why it is especially painful, particularly when it comes too suddenly, too senselessly, or too soon. And we are right to weep, to weep as Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb with both sorrow and anger at the destructive nature of death. But death... Even as the inevitable foe that every single one of us here will encounter at some point, death does not have the last word. Even in all its very real gut-wrenching pain and grief-stricken sorrow, death does not resign us to despair or leave us without hope. Why? Because of what happened on this day. 2,000, some 2,000 years ago, in a forgotten graveyard outside of Jerusalem, when some women racked with grief and anger and despair at a senseless, unjust, murderous death of an innocent one that they loved dearly, showed up at the grave site and found the tomb was open and the body was not there. And as their grief was compounded by this confusing discovery, an angel appears and asks them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen, just as he said he would. 
And before long, they would see him for themselves along with the the two travelers on the road to Emmaus and the disciples gathered in the room. And as Paul tells us at the beginning of this this chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, to to some 500 others, including himself, all of whom could, could verify and testify to the fact that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, which is why in the midst of deep grief, those children and their parents in Nashville and we, as we continue to live, as Pastor Kyle reminded us this morning at the sunrise service in this, this veil of tears and the darkness of this fallen world, we do not grieve without hope. Jesus has carried our sorrows. Jesus is, is personally acquainted with our grief. He has borne our suffering in his body. He has conquered our death. In his resurrection. And the body, of Christ, the body of Christ gathered together today in Nashville, in that church, along with us and, and the body of Christ around the world, gather today, as difficult as it may be for some, and we rejoice even in suffering. Because Jesus rose from the dead and he lives and so too will all who belong to him by faith. Brothers and sisters, that's the good news of Easter. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's the message of the Apostle Paul in this 15th chapter of his letter to the Corinthians. Indeed, he leaves no doubt that Christianity without the resurrection is not Christianity at all. It's just a foolish hoax perpetuated on pitiable people. He leaves no room for those who want to profess faith in Christ and receive forgiveness of sins and hope for eternal life and power for godly living, but do not want to accept the reality of the resurrection of the dead. Why is there no room for that? Because the resurrection of Christ and thus the resurrection of the dead is at the very heart of the gospel. Prior to these verses that we read, Paul states the very simple yet central truth of the good news like this, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day and appeared to many all in accordance with the scriptures, all as God had planned. Christianity is not just a religion of ideas. We don't worship doctrines. Christianity is a faith that is rooted solely and solidly in God's great work of redemption in history, culminating in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only if those events truly occurred is there any validity or any victory in our faith and any hope for our future. And so it seems... In Corinth, there were those in the church who were denying that there was such a thing as a bodily resurrection of the dead. And and brothers and sisters, that kind of teaching continues today. Many people will claim to believe in Christ, but say that the idea that Jesus physically bodily rose from the grave is neither, neither tenable or necessary to our faith. There are pastors in pulpits this morning who are preaching a Christ who they do not believe actually rose bodily from the grave. They think it's a myth. But the gospel, God's word, Jesus himself does not give us that option. 
As Paul says here, Christ's resurrection affects everything. And he goes on to show the implications of Christ's resurrection and its practical impact in the life of his followers. And I want to look at, the, at three of those implications as Paul presents them here. The first thing Paul says is that because Christ has been raised from the dead, our faith is sure. Or another way to put it is, is what we believe is true. The resurrection is the, is the validation of all of God's promises and thus is grounds for our confidence, for our assurance of what we believe to be true. And Paul argues this from the negative by, by pointing to the logical end game, the, the conclusion that must, must uh, be uh, come to for those who say and deny that Christ didn't raise from the dead or deny the reality of the resurrection. He says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then certain things must follow. First, Christ has not been raised from the dead. You can't say there's no such thing as a resurrection and then in the very same breath say that Christ was raised. It just doesn't make sense. It's illogical. So if you are going to believe that there's no resurrection of the dead, Paul says that not even Christ himself was raised from the dead. And if that's true... If Christ was not raised from the dead, then then there are some other logical conclusions. Paul says our preaching is in vain. Because all we've been talking about as as the apostles, as those who are, are going around proclaiming this good news, is how God raised Christ from the dead. If that's not true, Paul and the other apostles and all those whom Christ appeared to are bold faced liars. And their testimony about God is a false testimony. If Christ Jesus did not rise from the dead, then brothers and sisters, we may as as well just stand up and walk out the door and go home. (laughs) Everything I've said from this pulpit over the last 25 years is nothing but a big shell game. And you've wasted a lot of your life sitting here listening to me only to find out that there's nothing under the shells. If Christ has not been raised from the dead. Which means your faith is in vain as well. You've been misled. You believed a lie. You put your hope in a fairy tale. Oh, it's a a great story. But if there is no resurrection, then it's a fantasy. And the fairy godmother and Prince Charming are not going to show up. It doesn't really end happily ever after. If there's no resurrection. Paul goes on. It's not just what we've been, that we've been mistaken in what we proclaim or we've been deluded in what we believe. He says God is still God. He is still on the throne. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, then that means you are still in your sins. Jesus' death was God's own and only way of dealing justly with the problem of sin. His death pays the penalty for our rebellion against God. But his resurrection was the guarantee of that payment. It was the receipt, if you will, that says, paid in full. No resurrection, no receipt. We are still liable for our debt before God, the wages of which are death. We will perish. And those who have already died, Paul says, believing in Jesus, have no hope and have perished as well. Do you get get Paul's argument here? (laughs) You see what he's saying? 
Without the resurrection, all that we as Christians put our trust in and rest our hope on, the testimony and the teaching of God's word, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of resurrection with God, the assurance of his love, the guarantee of his provision and protection, the eternal life in his kingdom, all of that and more comes crumbling down like a house of cards on a windy day. Resurrection from the dead is the backbone of Christianity. And without it, our faith cannot stand. Instead, it's just empty, meaningless, ethereal spirituality. The good news of the gospel is that Christ has risen. And without that truth, the gospel is emptied of its content. And Paul says, Christians are of all people most to be pitied. Again, some people want to try and say, even if the story of Jesus' death and resurrection did not actually take place, Christianity brings about many good things in life. The church has done so many great things over its history, even if some of the things we believe are really myth rather than fact. And Paul says, if that's true, if our hope is only for this life, if the resurrection is not true, then we are pitiful fools. If Christ was not raised, people should be looking at you and me and what we are gathered here to do today with the same head-shaking, eye-rolling pity that they would give to somebody who said they'd been abducted by aliens. We're either right about Jesus being the Son of God who came down from heaven and died on the cross to forgive our sins and was raised from the dead, or we're just flat-out kooks. And guess what? That's not the case. Because in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, Paul says. He's already spoken of the vast numbers of people still alive at that time who could verify that fact. The evidence for the resurrection is irrefutable. It has stood firm for 2,000 years. And what a glorious fact that is. Because since Christ has been raised from the dead, you can believe the word and the amazing works of God recorded in the scriptures. You can trust the testimony of, of Paul and the apostles. You can believe the preaching of those who proclaim the good news of the gospel. That Christ died and was buried and was raised again on the third day. Your faith and my faith stands on real, firm, historical, verifiable truth. And because Jesus is risen, your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. You stand reconciled, redeemed, accepted by God. And those who have died in Christ are not dead, only asleep. <laughs> we will see them again. The good news of Christ's resurrection means, first and foremost, that our faith is sure. What we believe is indeed true, and we can bank on the veracity of that which we hold so dearly as believers. Paul goes on to say that not only is our faith sure, but because of the resurrection, our future is secure. What we hope for is certain. What is it that we hope for? What do you hope for? You know, I've gotten, we've gotten so used to the world 
the, the world being the way it is, we've grown so accustomed to, to hearing news uh, uh, always of political division, of moral decline, of social upheaval, of economic hardship, of, of disasters and, and all manner of diseases and illness of injustices and oppression and deadly violence and destructive wars and it's just become part of life and it's very easy to begin to think that it's just the way things are <laughs> and it's just the way things are always going to be and so we don't really hope for much it's easy to lose sight of the big picture but Paul reminds us that because Christ has been raised from the dead Death is not the end for us either. He calls Jesus' resurrection the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or, or those who have died. Now, I'm not a vegetable gardener, but if you've ever planted a vegetable garden or you've had a fruit tree in your yard, you know what it's like when after a, a long wait, after watching things uh, uh, green up and grow, and you see that first little green bean starting to appear on the stalk, or you see that first tomato begin to ripen up on the vine, or you, or you step out and you pick that first ripe apple uh, off the tree. Now, part of the excitement of that is just, is just seeing the first fruit. We've got apples. <laughs> We've got a tomato. That's how it was when I was planting a garden. If I could get one, I was really excited. But part of that, is, it, it, part of that excitement is also the anticipation that this is just the first of more to come. The first fruit is just the guarantee of, of a greater harvest more fruit to come, and Christ's resurrection from the dead is the first of many, many, many more resurrections to come for those who have died in Christ. Now, how does that work? Well, he says the same way, it works the same way that we got into this mess with death. He says, we are all subject to death because of one man. His name was Adam. And that first man created by God, made in his image, created to, to, to love and to live in fellowship with God and, and uh, along with all his descendants for eternity. But Adam sinned. And as a result, all of mankind was brought under the curse of sin, under the, the resulting effect of death. Adam's sin was the, was the first fruits of death. And destruction that has plagued every single person for all of history. But Christ comes to reverse that. Christ, the second Adam, who is the very image and nature of God. He comes to, to redeem mankind from the devastating effects of sin and the dominion of death. And his perfect obedience, his life without sin accomplishes what Adam could not on our behalf. And then his death in our place pays the penalty for that sin. And so Paul says, through the one man Adam came death, so through the one man Jesus, all who are his shall be made alive. And there's an order, he says, to this happening. Christ's resurrection is the first both in time and in preeminence. And between his resurrection from the grave and his second coming 
in glory and in judgment, sin and death still hold sway in this life. We still live under the effects of Adam's sin. And we still bear the pain and the tears and the suffering and even the physical death that they bring. But when Christ comes again, those who belong to him will rise with him in victory. And what is that victory like? Well, Paul tells us the end of the story. This story that we're a part of in, in this life. And, and he does it to remind us that what we hope for is certain. It will happen. He says, in the end, Christ who was raised from the dead will bring down every rule and every authority and every power that stands in opposition to him. The risen Christ is alive and he is reigning until he comes and he puts his foot on the neck of every enemy that stands against him. Every enemy of God's righteousness, his justice, his truth, his goodness, his peace. Christ is reigning and at the outcome will ultimately be total victory and utter dominion over all things. And when he comes, all who belong to him, all who have suffered at the hands of sin, and death, all who have been redeemed by his shed blood on the cross will rise in victory. And the last enemy, we're told, death itself will be destroyed. The dead will rise. Jesus will say to the Father, Here is your kingdom, and all whom you have given me, whom I have purchased with my blood on the cross, that they may live and reign with me in our glorious kingdom forever and ever. And those who have not trusted Christ, those who say there is no resurrection of the dead, will find out that that's not true. And they will rise as well, but not to eternal life, but to eternal judgment and punishment Beloved, if you are in Christ, your future is secure. Your hope is certain. Every enemy that threatens and attacks you, every sin that, that burdens you, every last enemy against you will be destroyed all sickness will be removed. Every tear will be wiped away. All sin and evil will be cast out. And death, the last enemy, the final foe, will be no more. No more. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, Christ's resurrection is the down payment on that glorious hope. And because he was raised, all who trust in him will be raised in victory with him on the last day to a future that is eternally secure. So Paul says that because Christ has been raised, your faith is sure, your future is certain. And lastly, he says, therefore, your life now matters. Your life now matters. 
In other words, how you live today is shaped by what you believe about the resurrection. Paul asks a question here in verse 29. He says, otherwise, why do people, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? And the answer to that question is, we have no idea. Seriously, we, it's not clear what Paul is talking about here except to say that he is obviously aware of some such practice, perhaps by a group in the church, perhaps some pagan practice in the culture. Paul is not endorsing baptism for the dead. There's, there's not any mention of it elsewhere in Scripture or, or record of such practice throughout church history. But Paul's point is, why should someone be baptized for the, on behalf of the dead if there's no resurrection from the dead. The reality of the resurrection makes a difference in how we actually practically approach and live out our lives. We might say, why would we make such a big deal about funerals? Why would we talk about our loved ones being in better places or looking down from, on us from above if there's no resurrection of the dead? You see, how we live reflects deep down what we actually believe and Paul again uses his own life as an example his life was characterized by hardship by facing suffering and attacks by pouring himself out sacrificially in order to proclaim Christ and and him crucified and he says what point is there in in danger enduring danger and death all the time if indeed there's no resurrection from the dead And the answer is, obviously, none. (laughs) Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If you have the mindset that this world is all there is, then you should live as if there's no tomorrow. (laughs) Unfortunately, too many of us who believe in the resurrection still live our lives practically in this world as if there were no resurrection from the dead. But if you know that Christ is risen and that one day you too will rise, that this life and this world are not all there is, you are free to live differently. The resurrection empowers you to live free from the fear of death. Paul Paul could say with confidence, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We can live bold, risky, sacrificial lives for Jesus. We can stare death in the face without fear because death is not the end. It does not have the last word. So resurrection power and frees us to live free from death and it empowers you to live free from the treasures and the pleasures of this world. Christ's resurrection power weakens our grip on the things of this world. We don't need any longer to build bigger bank accounts or accumulate more possessions because those things won't last. You can't take them with you. Christ's resurrection guarantees that we have a greater inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, coming in the resurrection, and therefore we can let go of the things of this world. And we can be generous with others. Resurrection power... In resurrection, the resurrection empowers you to enter into difficult situations, physical suffering, declining health, broken relationships, dangerous situations, places of need, and to do it with both courage 
and confidence and even joy because you know that Christ is reigning, that he will bring all enemies under his subjection and he and we will be victorious with him. Resurrection power enables us to resist temptation, to flee sin, to pursue living godly righteous lives because we know a judgment is coming. We know there is someone we will have to answer to for our actions. Someone who loves us. And therefore, we desperately desire to please. And the resurrection empowers you to love. To love as Jesus loved. To deny yourself. To lay down your life for others. Because nothing, nothing... Nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. And your love for others will draw others to see and to believe and to embrace our risen Savior. So the reality of the resurrection means that how we live here today matters. It makes a difference. You have purpose. Your life has meaning. And the things you are going through or going through with others are not in vain. God is at work making all things new. Brothers and sisters, the good news of Easter, the message of the gospel, is not just wishful thinking. It's not just a, a happy story. It's not just part fact and part fiction. It is undeniable truth and the reality that Jesus is alive today, reigning and redeeming and restoring the kingdom of God. It makes all the difference in the world. Don't be deceived. Don't give in to the world's perspective of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you will die. Believe in God. Believe also in Christ Jesus and know with great confidence that though you may die, yet you shall live for he lives and your faith in Christ is sure and your future in Christ is secure and your life in Christ now matters because in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. Amen. Father, would you... Fill us now with the reality of your resurrection power. May we know true life, eternal life, abundant life, filled with faith, overflowing in love, poured out in sacrifice because you, Lord Jesus, rose from the dead and even now are ruling and reigning in your church until you bring your kingdom to its completion. Lord, we long for that day, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. But until that day, may we boast in your death and your resurrection for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.